Blog Talk Radio. Good Saturday morning to you, the first Saturday in November 2011. So happy to have you here with us. I want to welcome you to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this marvelous Saturday, November the 5th, 2011. And again, thank you for being here with us. It's a joy to have you here. For those who have, are, are, are faithful, who've been with us for over seven years, I thank you again for tuning in every Saturday morning off the shelf, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. For those who might be tuning in for the first time, let me introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And again, I thank you for your support, and I encourage you not to let this day go by before you pick up a copy of Long Walk Up. That is my latest book. It's a powerfully moving book about a little girl in East Africa who's orphaned and the hard things that she goes through, the challenges, but how she stays on her path and makes history and actually becomes the first woman president in Africa. And you can pick up a copy of Long Walk Up today by visiting www.chisel.com, and that's spelled C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. You can also grab a copy of Long Walk Up from any bookstore, online or offline. If you don't sit on the shelf, just ask the clerk for it, and they can get it for you because Long Walk Up is carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Our special guest today is Kane, and he is the author of the book, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Aleron. Aleron? Kane, correct me if I'm... It's it's Aleron. Good good try. Aleron. 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 And it was a 2011 Reader's Favorite Award winner off-the-shelf listeners. Welcome to the show, Kane. Thank you for having me, Denise. And how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fabulous. I know you are on the road. Uh, last week we had Omega Keys on, and she was going straight from the show to a book signing. Then she was right. going to New Orleans, then Miami, and you. I know you're in New Orleans yourself. So Arthur's I was listening on the to road. that show. Huh? I was on the line listening to that show. Very, oh, very good. Okay. Arthur's on the road. You guys are keeping it moving, and so kudos to you guys. So for today's show, I wanted to I wanted to start came by asking you, first of all, before we go any further, because I like mm-hmm. to give this out for all of our guests. Do you have a website, or is there any place online where off the shelf listeners can learn more about you, your books, read excerpts from your books? If so, could you give us that URL, please? Absolutely, it's www.aleron.co. Make sure you type in the .co because .com will get you somewhere else. So oh, okay. Okay. Or you know we're on, we're on Facebook also, and uh, we're on Twitter and Adiron one one. Okay, so he's on Facebook, on Twitter, and it's it's www dot a l e r o n dot c o. Leave the M off. Correct. Leave the M off. Right. You. <laughs> you end up someplace else. What was there an event came in your life? Uh, and I love to ask our guests this that made you realize. You were a writer, and so could you share that event with our listeners? Oh, you know, it, it, writing started off for me uh, at a very young age. Um, my father's an artist, and I was always fascinated with uh, poetry and mm-hmm. um, writing writing short stories. And then, one, you know, when you have little school assignments in elementary school, and you're responsible for turning in either a poem or a short story or even a little play. Um, I started to realize that the children and the teachers started to really enjoy my writing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I realized maybe I have something that some people don't have. Wow. And I, I, I kept writing, you know, poetry, short stories. I just kept going. Okay. And it's, it, it, it takes me back to uh, last week's guest. It was a teacher. And often a lot of people say it was a teacher, something in school. I know we knock school in a lot, but there, there are times when you can have your dreams snatched from you uh, due to something a teacher says. And then you can also have them surface. So I think that's good good to hear. Why did you, as I was researching for your interview, I'm like, oh, my goodness, for our off-the-shelf listeners, please go to alamon.co. As you listen to the interviews, you can understand particularly my next question. But I'm like, oh, my goodness, I was so surprised. Why did you decide to take on a vampire book? As as there have been numerous books and movies 
already written about vampires. Why did you decide to say, you know what, I'm going to write another book. I'm going to write a book, and it's going to deal with characters who are vampires. You know, there are so many vampire books out there and movies and comic books and all those types of deals. And um, you're, you're right. I get asked this question quite often. And the answer to me is simple. Number one, I love vampires. I love fantastical creatures, werewolves, warlocks, witches, and all that jazz. And um, as a fan of the vampire genre, I've kind of noticed a trend that's going on right now. And that trend is uh, the vampire novels that are coming out now and the movies that are coming out now are kind of catering to a small section of the vampire following. And so I decided that we needed more of a refresher we needed to get back to uh, the style of writing uh, where vampires kind of originate. And that's the reason why I went to Romania to do research and things of that nature. I wanted to give the vampire genre followers something fresh, something new, something they can sink their teeth into, and something they can enjoy. <laughs> but, but not just some of them, but all of them. You know, everyone, young, old, black, white, it's not even going to matter. I'm getting great reviews from all people from all walks of life. They just love the book. Now, now, when you say that you think that the stories right now are, are targeted toward a certain segment of the market, they seem to be, when, you, when I look on the tele, TV uh, shows and I see TV shows that deal with vampires, it's almost like the young adult or the teen market. Is that what you, you, you think? You're say, is that what you're saying when you, they're going after a certain segment of the market? Well, yeah, when I did some statistics before I wrote my book, you know, Statistics show that the people that have the disposable income are teenage girls, period, uh, that that are spending their disposable income on books. So I understand how some authors kind of lend uh, their storytelling to that section. Um, what I wanted to do is appeal to everyone. If you like a good book, you like a good romance novel, you like a good vampire story with rich characters and compelling storytelling, this book is definitely for you. Okay. Now you said you went to Romania. Is is yes. that where is that where the the myth the the, the about the vampires is that I'm 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 pretty sure it originated in Europe. But did it start in Romania? Is that and how long were you in Romania? And can you just tell us a little bit about some of the research work you did for your for your book Alaron? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, of course, the the folklore started in Eastern Europe. The reason why I decided to go to Romania is simply because Bram Stoker kind of brought the uh, vampire to the forefront with um, Dracula, his character Dracula, which is loosely based on uh, a 15th century ruler of Wallachia, Romania, and his name is Vlad Tepes. Um, people often refer to him as Vlad the Impaler or Vlad okay. the Third, okay. and um, that's what prompted me to go to to Romania. Uh, they have a very rich uh, vampire history there, uh, vampire tours and this, that, or the other. But I wanted to go simply because the setting of my book takes place in Romania and other parts of Eastern Europe and Egypt. So it's one thing to tell a story without having really experienced uh, smelling the air, touching the cobblestone roads, eating the authentic food. And it's another thing getting on Google and Wikipedia and just telling a story from that perspective, which I think is less compelling. So I was there for um, for a week. Had a wow. great time uh, talking to a lot of the, uh, what I would like to call elders in the uh, Carpathian Mountains. And mm. in Romania, vampires are, are called Stregoi. Mm. So, and that's why the, my book is entitled Alaron, Book One of the Stregoi series. And if you say vampire there, they really don't know what you're talking about. The older uh, Romanians in Transylvania, Brazov, Bucharest, and um, Sigasora which is where Vlad Tepes uh, spent his childhood. But if you say Stagoy, they know exactly what you're talking about, and that's the the uh, restless souls of the undead. You know, And it's fascinating, their entire culture surrounding the vampire genre. This is recent as uh, four years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the people in Brazov received permission from the court system to dig up some graves, drive stakes through their heart, and cut off their heads because they believed that whoever was lying there was Stagoy. Wow. This is recently wow. four years ago. So it's very, very prevalent. And you'll see when you're in Romania, uh, after 9, 10 o'clock in the evening, the streets are barren. 
I mean, wow. I'm from New York, and I'm used to, you know, streets being yes. full 24 hours a day. And, you know, me and my camera guy were out there, and at 9, 10 o'clock, I mean, it was just us. So it was very interesting. And some of the younger people were still out, you know, not me. You know what's so odd? It's almost every region has some type of a myth or or something, and and it it, it fascinates me of the world. There's something that there's a story that people swear this either it's a character or these people exist, and it's 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 almost like isolated to a certain part of the world. You go to different parts and you hear about that. You see this. You some like some people believe in the. uh, I don't know what they call it. It's, I want to say the Bigfoot, but there's another word for it. And they swear they've seen them. And and pe- and people believe in this so much, you couldn't tell them it wasn't true. There's no way you could do it. I wanted to ask you: Is is Kane? Is that your first novel? I mean, not Kane. Is is is, is Alaron your first novel? Kane? Is that your first novel? Uh, yes, it is. First novel that's been published. First novel written. And I'm very excited that it received the Reader's Favorite Award. I mean, how yes. often does it out? You know, a first-time author that's published receives an, a, such a prestigious award that's a national award. This is not a regional or a, um, or a, a city award. This is a national award where they have thousands of entries. Yeah, and wow. um, honored I was. Wow, that is congratulations! Congrat, that is huge. 2011 Reader's Favorite. Uh, award winner uh, Alaron, and I can just tell from talking to you, you did your research, you have a genuine interest in the subject. I can see why the book won the award. I wanted to ask you, when did Alaron debut? And for our listeners, again, he's it's online if you want to check out the book as we, we speak and read some of the excerpts and find out more about it. It's at www.aleron.co. Leave, leave the M off. .co. Uh, uh, when did Alaron debut, and and can you give us a little bit? We know it's a vampire story, but can you tell us a little bit more about it? Some at least two of the main characters and one or two key events they experienced, but without giving a whole story away. Absolutely. Um, just a little bit of background of the story. It, the setting is 18th century Romania and Egypt, and um, the backstory is you have a supreme father vampire. His name is Vlad, uh, based on Vlad Tepish. And uh, Vlad has surrounded himself with a family, a coven of female vampires that are loyal to the death. They're beautiful, they're sexual, and they pretty much do everything that he asks them to do. He uses them, their influence over men to grow his empire and grow his power and influence uh, throughout Eastern Europe. And he has only one rule. His one rule is you cannot make another male vampire. One thing that's pretty simple. When you have, you know, tens of of our female vampires jockeying for the affection of one male, there's going to be some backstabbing. There's going to be some um, betrayal and things of that nature, a lot of animosity. And one female vampire, her name is Mainie, she decides that her heart desires exclusivity. And so she leaves Bucharest, Romania, leaves Vlad and his coven, and decides to go to Alexandria, Egypt, and she stalks some men, and she decides on one, kills the other. And um, that man that she decides on, his name is Alaron, of course, the book's namesake. And ah. so the book the book picks up here, where Alaron is being stalked by something he doesn't know. And then she takes him, and she turns him into a vampire. Now, she nurtures him, she teaches him. But she keeps him in the dark about what lies beyond Egypt, mainly uh, Vlad in the rest right. of the coven. Because if Vlad finds out about it, there's going to be a problem, obviously. Now, inherent in my vampires is um, you have a natural love, an undying love, an unfettered love with your maker. And, of course, Alaron has this for Minier. The problem with this is Mine has this for Vlad. And this oh. is Vlad is truly what her heart wants. She is just oh. upset that she can have him for herself. Okay. And she eventually, after decades with Aleron, leaves him. Wow. He has no idea why. He doesn't know what's going on. 
And that without telling too much of the story, the bottom line is eventually the two find out about one another, and there's a lot of twists and yeah. turns. And one of the main themes in the book, uh, besides love and besides relationships, is the um, connection between immortality versus mortality. And the reason why I say that's a major theme in the book is because if you think about what happens w- with vampires, they are forever unchanging. But they are forced to live in a world that everything changes every single moment of the day. Wow, and so yeah. these vampires live outside of time, but they're watching everything change around them. And after the initial excitement of their new abilities as immortals, they start to become sad because the soul of a vampire has started out as a changing, growing, time-bounded human being. And now they're no longer that. And so they watch their loved ones perish. They're forced to drink blood of the living to remain alive. And it's not as glamorous as the books and movies depicted nowadays. Um, They are very sensual, and they are very enticing to humans, but humans are very enticing to them, not just because of the food supply, but because we change and they don't. So they live vicariously through humans generation after generation after generation. Well, you put a you put a you put a different twist and a different angle on it. Uh, um, I, I I would say the Dracula movies when I watched them as a kid, he, that character seemed very alone. You that 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 angle you just spoke about, very mm-hmm. alone, almost as if he wished he wasn't a vampire. He, he wished if there's some way he could escape it, he would do that. Even though they had powers, he he just he would escape it if he if he could. And that puts that puts to mind a lot of even us as humans we want these we want things that if we had them would we really want it if we had right. it, would would we would we really want it when you look in uh, like somebody said you know the grass looks greener on the other side but when you get right. to the other side you still got to mow that lawn you still exactly. got to cut that grass so it's very <laughs> yeah very similar to when someone that is not well off wins the lottery. And then you check back with them seven, eight years down the line, and they are, their life has been turned upside down. So they, they adapted to their situation before, and they were even though they wanted more money, they were still living their life. And then all of a sudden they have these millions of dollars and everybody clawing at them and all these different responsibilities and these different wants and desires and all this, that, or the other. Seven years down the line, they're broke again. They're more miserable in more debt. Because the grass that they thought was greener, it really wasn't. Yeah, that's inside inside work. Now, your your story, just you explaining the Alaron, has really piqued my interest. And I'm not a vampire reader per se, but it seems like you take somewhat of a realistic approach to it, and not just uh, romanticize it, or just look at look at the power that they have, but to really look at it uh, realistically. I wanted to ask you: Have you always, since you were a, a kid, have you always had a fascination with? Because you say you're from New York. Have you always had a fascination with Eastern European history and folklore? And if not, what 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 got you interested in this subject? Well, I've always been fascinated with um, mythology, um, anything that's outside of the ordinary realm has fascinated me. Starting with mythology, and um, you know, as a child. Being a vampire for Halloween or something of that nature was always a desire. I was a few times. And just the the legend of Dracula, the legend of the vampire, what vampires do, werewolves, uh, witches, warlocks, all of those creatures um, that mimic humans but have various powers outside of our abilities has been always fascinating to me, always. It's just now that when I started doing research for my book and my series, I realize, okay, I have to get, I have to get from in front of the computer. I have to get out of the history books, and I have to go to Eastern Europe. I have to see this for myself. Hmm. And, and that's not an under. It's not, it doesn't sound like it's underground. Like you have to go to certain secret places. That to, it, like it sounds like it's very out in the open. From what you said, the streets are 
for the most part, sort of barren. And then the recent law that was passed. I wanted to ask you next, and I haven't read any of her work, but when I was researching for your book for the interview, I her name popped up. Would mm-hmm. you say that Alaron, for our off-the-shelf listeners who have read her work, she's a best-selling author. Would you say that Alaron is it? Would you say it's similar, either in style or what it explores, to Anne Rice's novels? Uh, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the people that read my book who have read Anne Rice pretty much believe that I picked up where she left off. <laughs> wow. It, it, it's, it's an honor. I love the uh, Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice. I love her characters, Lestat, Marius, and all, all the other characters, um, Louis and um, Armand. And, you know, I think it is. I think I am really catering to that vampire lover that was an Anne Rice fan in her Vampire Chronicles who have kind of been left out in a recent uh in this recent decade with um a good vampire tale. Uh one thing that's very similar between my style and Anne Rice's style is she is very, very detailed and she takes the reader from modern times and she just submerges them into a world that she has created. And that to me it sets up a very good setting for compelling storytelling. And I decided to do the exact same thing. And, of course, there's very compelling character development where people start to fall in love with these characters or they start to hate the characters. Either or is good for an author, you know. So, yes, um, I I believe I'm picking up where Anne Rice left off. And a lot of my reviewers um, online have left comments comparing me to Anne Rice and Stephen King. And Stephen King also was another one uh, one of my influences, obviously, in uh, this genre. So, and he's very absolutely. detailed as well. Yes, he's, he's very detailed in in his work. Why did you decide to turn Alaron's story uh, into a five part book series? And I know you said the vampires live outside of time, but can you give us a, a time frame for when the story takes place? Like, is it from seventeen hundred and fifty to nineteen hundred and something? Can you tell us when it takes place during this five part book series? And, and tell okay. us why you turned it into a five-part series. A very interesting question because the first book, uh, actually the first three, are centered around Alaron, this legendary vampire um, becoming a mature vampire. And the setting is in the 18th century, and it brings us through modern times for Alaron. Now, book four and five, in some of the themes that I'm, I'm grappling with, um, lay... Um, before the 18th century. Vlad, for instance, I have him being somewhere around the 13th century. Mayne and Pandora around the 15th century. And more of their story is going to come out as the actual series progresses. So the time frame that it covers is 13th century all the way through modern times. So we're talking 2000. Yes, Wow. So people, are, people are going to really look forward to book number three. <laughs> really, because wow. they're, oh they're going to see some places. Book number one are going to be uh, book number one, Alaron. They, they, I describe places that actually exist, but that people in the Western world, uh, people in America, are most likely ninety nine point nine percent of them are not familiar. So they're they're getting a bit of a, a lesson in, in an area of the world that they don't have much information on. So they're learning something. Now, when it comes to book number three, and we're in modern times, you know, we're talking about Louisiana, New York, Atlanta, Chicago, different places uh, that things are going to be taking place uh, where the reader, if they're familiar with those cities, will know these different locations that are being described. And I'm very, very descriptive with, um, with my storytelling. I believe that it's very important that the reader has a chance to not only look at the words, but they feel the words, they smell them. They taste them. I wrote an article, and the name of the article was, um, Do Words Have a Smell? And words mm. indeed have a smell associated with them, depending on how you package that word. Right. Wow. And, uh, I wanted to... The reason why it's, it's um, let me answer your other question. The reason why I decided on a series is because um, when I set out to start writing Alaron, I didn't think about writing out five books. But as I did more and more research and the characters start to develop themselves within the writing, I realized that, okay, 
people are going to want to know more about Pandora. They're going to want to know more about Vlad, more about Mainier, and some other characters I can't mention right now. They're going to want, want to know about their story. Mm-hmm. And in thinking about their story, there's so much more storytelling that's at my fingertips. And so I realized this is going to be five books. I knew it right there. Wow. Oh, my goodness. What was Alaron doing? before uh, the female vampire met him and turned him into a vampire. What was he doing for a living? What was he doing, and about how old was he when she met him? Alaron was in his early 20s mm-hmm. uh, when Bionia started to stalk him in Alexandria, Egypt. And he was also um, the oldest child of Agnon and Camellia in Alexandria. He had a younger sister named Shani. And Alaron was the protege of a historian by the name of Davila. And uh, Davila somehow became very ill, some type of blood illness. Nobody under, nobody knows why. I do, but... Right. And Alaron had to um, replace Davila at some of the events, and that is where Mayanier decided to take him. But he was a, he was a historian. Um, he was studying the uh, Epicurus, okay. Epicureanism. And during this time when, um, when Mayanier... Revealed herself to him. Wow. What, I know you said you've given us some of the feedback readers are telling you, but specifically, what are some of the readers telling you about this first book and the five-part book series? And I'm sure they are just eager to for you to release the second book. And when will the second book come out? Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll do this kind of backwards. The, um, the second book uh, comes out in uh, September of next year, fall mm-hmm. of next year. And um, the readers are are congratulating me, number one, on uh, such a good, rich, refreshing story. Okay. Also, um, with uh, – hold on a second. Someone's trying to time with my line. I'm making sure it doesn't come through. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, and as I said, they were comparing me to Anne Rice and Stephen King, and I've gotten one complaint about the book. And the complaint was um, this man was talking about his wife who has my book, and he says that he's upset that his wife has not put my book down since she started reading it. And so ah. she's not doing anything else. Oh, so I took well. that as a compliment, <laughs> sent him an email, yeah. told him thank you. And oh, um, yeah. people are, are waiting and anticipating book number two. Yeah. They can't wait to get into it because book two starts off exactly where book one lets off. And wow. there are some secret characters that are kind of um, implied in book one that you really want to know more about, which are going to be revealed more in book number two. So it's, it's being received very well. Uh, people are loving the actual book. It's, it's, a, it's a fast read. Um, I wanted to, as I said, I wanted to appeal to everyone. And traditionally, uh, women are the, um, the readers. 75% of book mm-hmm. buyers are women. Yes. For book readers. And so what I wanted to do is not only appeal to them with a compelling love story and things of that nature, but the guys need something that's going to keep them turning the pages every couple of pages. They need mm-hmm. something. And so I made sure when I wrote the book I did just that. So there's going to be some action every couple of pages so those guys will not want to put the book down either. Okay. And women like women like action too. So, But, yeah. But yeah, no, plenty of that in there. Plenty of that. Now, Alaron, congratulations again, is also being made available in Spanish. Yes. What was what was that process like? You know, it was um, I, we my, my team and I had to find a um, a good Spanish translator, and I don't speak Spanish. So, how do you find a good Spanish translator, and how do you know if they're good or not? Well, <laughs> I had to find a Spanish translator who had the um, resume. You know, this guy you had twenty years experience in translating from English to Spanish. And, of course, he had to read my book. and He has to understand my flow, understand mm. the, the rhythm of my writing. And mm. then I found a Spanish teacher who's been teaching for several years, and she is the proofreader of the Spanish translator's work after she's read my book also. Okay. So she is there as my liaison, my, my buffer from mm. my translator and my audience. So she's uh, reassuring me that the translation is an actual good one. And it's general Spanish because there's so many different dialects in Spanish. But there is a, a general Spanish to where if you're from Spain, from if you're from 
uh, Brazil, if you're from Mexico, there's a general Spanish that everyone can understand, even though they may not speak that general Spanish in their dialect. Okay. So I have to make I, I sure that, that we accomplish that. Would, do you recommend, uh, and I can see you're also a businessman and an artist and a businessman, I because the businessman side is coming through as well. Do you recommend that authors take the time to have their books uh, made available in other language other than their native tongue? Absolutely. I mean, the world is, I mean, you know, the, the country that reads the most is Germany. Germany has the most readers in the world. So mm-hmm. translating your book into German, absolutely. Spanish, um, in, in the Spanish culture, there's voodoo, there's mysticism, there's so many different things that lends itself to certain types of fantasy fiction books, including the vampire or the fantastical creatures genres. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage any author to go ahead, um, expand, you know, make your book universal. Um, you want to make, have sales outside of the U.S. because the world is your oyster, literally, and the sky is right. the limit. So you don't want to limit yourself at all to the boundaries of English or the boundaries of the United States. Wow. And you took it upon yourself. You went out and you a teacher, a translator, and I think that was a smart move to have the teacher look over the translator's work and and uh, to make sure that it's... it's, it's... Now, once, you, once, you, once it's translated into Spanish... What's the process like for you for our off-the-shelf listeners who might be saying, wow, that's something I want to do with my book? What's the process like then? For Is it is it similar to, to in English to getting it either put into a print book and distributed or ebook? Is it the process the same? All you do is get it translated and the rest is basically the same as for any other language. Um, it, it's very, it's very um, similar if you're only going to stay within the borders of the United States, and in the sense that all you have to do is have a, a good translation, and you go through the exact same process for ebook, for paperback, and the same, um, same uh, avenues for Ingram, Baker, and Taylor to have your book distributed. Uh, same thing. But if you want to go outside of the United States borders, you have to deal with foreign rights and things of that nature to make sure your rights are protected. And things things like that. You can't have a printed book printed in the U.S. Uh, that's sold uh, overseas. You know, there are some different taxes and different regulations, things of that nature that you have to consider. So if you if you're only looking to cater within the borders of the United States, uh, simply translating your book with a good translation, uh, then you would do all the same steps that you would normally do with an English print. Okay. So okay, just like that. Um, I wanted to ask you next. Do you see yourself as a vampire writer, or do you see yourself at some point in the future with a long career writing in other genres as well? Well, I'm I'm definitely a universal writer. Um, as we speak right now, I am working on book two of the Strigoi series. I am working on the screenplay for book one of Alaron, and I'm also working on another fantasy fiction book that has nothing to do with vampires at all, but is equally as compelling. Wow. You're very creative. Was it easy to land, King, the publisher for your book? Um, Being at Vampire Stories again, and they tend to be right now targeted more, and they're very popular on television in particular, targeted more toward the young adult market. But was that... Did that make it easier for you to you to get a publisher for Alaron or more challenging? Um, I think publishers want the same thing that the readers do. They want a book they they could enjoy. They want a book that they know that's going to sell, make them some money, make the author some money. And um, I think that I was I was fortunate enough to write a compelling story that people are interested in and people like, not only because of the vampires, because there are plenty of vampire books out there, but there's only a few of them that are actually good, you know? And um, I, I'm fortunate that my publisher uh, read the book and was fascinated, and they told me they usually kind of skim over the books, they read a few chapters, read the synopsis, and make a decision. They started reading my book, and they didn't put it down until they were done with it. Wow. So that told them they needed to have this book within their repertoire also, and I loved it. Now, now, 
Alaron, he's in his early 20s when the, 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 the female, I, for some reason her name keeps skipping out of my mind, but when she, made, she met him, she stalked him, and she turned him into a vampire. And I read a press release about Alaron that stated the book is a multi-generational book. How how and you and you said it's a book for everybody. You, mm-hmm. you said that at the start of the interview. But how do you pull that off if the characters are in their twenties and older, older, even though they're they're immortal? How do you pull it off to grab the teen, uh, the interest of a teen reader? Well, simple. Um, because it's vampires, and Stephanie Myers kind of put this on the forefront for the teenagers. Because it's vampires, they're interested. The teenagers are. They want to know. They want. They, they literally want to eat the vampire stuff up. Literally, the um, young adults, uh, late teens, twenties, uh, just around the thirties, can appreciate the actual human ages of the characters because uh, at those ages you have not experienced as a human certain things yet. So there's a certain immaturity that you still carry. Whereas the older generation could appreciate the historical value and some of the historical events surrounding the actual novel, and you have these characters that are hundreds of years old. And so they're bringing so much more to the table than your typical mortal character who lives, you know, 70, 75 years. You have someone that is whose lifespan has spanned um, centuries through many conflicts that are um that are uh, very historical many events that occurred um just many things that the older crowd can really appreciate and bring them back to um to reading the written word so okay. I'm kind of across the board uh kind of in a broad stroke of a brush a paintbrush if you will I want to kind of put a little bit of paint on everyone so they could enjoy themselves and lose themselves in a great story. Now, I'm in, I'm in, in, in my mind, I'm seeing a very thick book. I'm talking like 600 pages and up. <laughs> how long How long is Alaron? I don't know why I see a thick book in my head. How long is... is... Uh, Alaron is 300 pages. Okay. It's that's that nice. sweet spot. Okay, it's a that's nice a nice size read. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice size. It's a sweet spot. Um, you you don't want to. I mean, I'm asking you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen dollars for the cover price of the book, and mm-hmm. when when a consumer spends that money, you know they they don't want a book that's you know ninety pages, one hundred fifty pages. Oh yeah, no, they no, they, no, no, they no. want a a good sized book that's going to take them a little bit of time, two three days perhaps, uh, if you're an avid reader, to read through and enjoy. You know mm-hmm. they, they want their money's worth. At the same time. I have to respect the fact that some readers don't want a book that's 500, 600 pages. They just don't right. want that. It's just too long for them. And so you mm-hmm. break it up, make it a series, and um, you have 300 here, 350 there, maybe 400 on the next one, maybe a little bit less, somewhere in there. And they could appreciate uh, that size book. So, as again, I wanted to appeal to everyone. I didn't want to leave anybody out. Okay, sound like the size of maybe like the Harry Potter books. Those books are pretty thick as well. Do you have plans, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, to try to turn your book into a television or a major motion picture? Major motion picture or television series, whatever one comes first. Uh, I'm writing a screenplay as we speak, and um, I've uh, taken some screenplay courses. I read screenplays all the time, and it's it's exciting to translate a novel that I know everything about, every single character, all their personalities, and I could actually submerge them into a screenplay. And when you read the book itself, the different um, scenes that you go through in reading the different chapters, you will see this in your head. You'll see this in your imagination being played out in your head. So it lends itself to the screen anyway, and that's how I wrote the book. But now translating that to a screenplay uh, is just so exciting and um it's fun to play with um, point of view. The book itself is written from its first person, written from the point of view of Alaron, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're writing a screenplay, you're looking from the point of view of you, you're, you're respecting the audience's point of view. So there are certain things that occur, say for instance, in your life with you walking down the street and everything that you're looking at. 
there are things that are occurring around you that you don't necessarily pick up. Right, right. But someone mm-hmm. looking from a third-person perspective, yeah. omniscient, would see all of that. Right. And so it's fun describing the things that Aleron missed in the book. Okay, okay. I want to I want to ask you a uh, uh, course of uh, some other questions. We've got about 20 minutes left. I want our off the shelf listeners again to give you the website, Kane's website so you can learn more about Aleron and read the excerpts a fascinating book, www.aleron.co.co. Leave the m off.co and you can go over there aleron.co and check out more about his book and his upcoming work. Kane, you you are doing so much, and you're just hitting the ground running. When did you start writing your? I know Alaron is your first novel. When did you sit down? Either was it short stories or whatever you started writing first? When did you start writing seriously as an author? Um, short stories first. Seriously, when I was um, in junior high school, and I written several short stories. Uh, then, and when I got to high school, more poetry. It was a lot more poetry, and uh, which is kind of natural for a, a growing teenage boy to start exploring the notions of love and things of that nature in, in a poetic form. Mm-hmm. And uh, two and a half years ago, is when I when I um, was no longer in corporate America. I decided to go ahead and revisit my first love, which is writing. And wow. that is when I started to write full-time, 24-7, waking up, writing, going to bed, writing, dreaming, writing. And that's all I do. And that's it. What, now, so I'm just curious now. What were you doing in corporate America? How far of a difference of a gap from what you were doing there in corporate, the corporate <laughs> world? Was it like two mangas? Well, you can be a judge of that. Um, I have a math degree and uh, math and psychology, and I was working in the field of fiber optics engineering, um, electrical high voltage installation, and I ran a company that provided those services for various contracts. And that to writing full-time, huge difference, however, uh, it's a part of me. Writing has always been inside of me. Um, it's just, it's freedom. It's mm-hmm. simply freedom. Wow. You, I see. I, I knew that. I knew there was a. I was picking up that business side of you as well because it was coming <laughs> through. I was, I was picking it up. I, I want to ask you, who are your favorite characters? Who are your favorite characters in Alabama? In my book. Yes. Uh, of course, Aleron, obviously. I named the book after him. But um, Vlad, very compelling character, very. And his backstory will really be revealed in book number four. Um, Pandora. Uh, the reader's not going to know whether to love or hate Pandora. I can tell you that now. They're going to feel some way about it. They're not going to know whether to love her or to hate her. <laughs> you just got to get to know her. Mine, of course, Um and there's a secret character that I am just enamored with, and I can't really reveal this character's name. You just have to read the book uh, to understand which one I'm talking about. And um, I'm very excited about writing about this secret character and where he fits in this entire Aleron puzzle. Oh, okay. Are any bits and pieces of you... Or anybody you know, of course, was not revealing who those people were, but anybody you know, grew up around, or yourself, as a as an author, I think that I would say it's almost impossible as an author not to put little pieces of yourself in your stories. Are there any little pieces of you in Alaron and any pieces of anybody you know in any of the other characters in the book? Uh, I think you're right, you know, when it comes to any writer, um, whether you're writing TV shows, movies, or books, um, there's going to be pieces of you in all of your characters. Um, the interesting part is identifying which piece that is. Um, Alaron and I share a, a birth date, uh, the actual day that's the same, obviously not the year. And um, other than that, uh, Alaron's love for life and love for learning, we also share. 
But it's funny when you start writing about a character, and you, you know, no matter how detailed your character sketch is and your character outline and how they would react in different situations, as you start to write, your characters begin to do things that you never intended them to do. Right. <laughs> they begin to start writing themselves. So sort of like at the life. end of the book, yeah, at the end of the book, you know, I got to know Alaron a whole lot better. Yeah. You know, and so and I saw there was many, many differences between myself and my other characters in the book. Many, many, many differences. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm learning more about my characters just as the readers will as they read. Okay. Why do you think, Kane, why do you think as humans why do you think we're so fascinated with physical immortality? Why do you think we're so fascinated with it? Very interesting question. I think we're fascinated with it because if you think about it, what is the only reason why we were watches or look at time? We look at time because we don't have all of it. We have some time. And when you're bounded by time, that is when time becomes a factor. I got to hurry up and get here. I got to go there. I got to do this. I got to graduate. I got to make this great. It's all centered around the limited amount of time that we have on this earth. But there is a part of us that wants to know what it means to be immortal. Mm. How would it how would it feel to live outside of time? No one dies. You never lose anyone. You're immortal and you're able to enjoy the richness of life, enjoy the richness richness of relationship. Everything slows down. Everything slows down. That would be just fantastic. Yeah, you just made a point. You said everything slows down, and that might be why we, we as as the longer humans are on the planet, we just seem to be in a hurry. We got to get this fast. We got to get food fast. This got to happen fast now. Fast, fast, fast. Almost like we feel like we're running out of time. It's like hurry up, hurry hurry up. I got to do it now. I got to do it now. Like we're running out of time. And you see, when you're saying if once you realize you're immortal, and I believe that as as humans spiritually we are we are immortal. That's my belief. But as as from a physical per- perspective, if you knew you had forever, you would probably never be in a hurry. That's exactly. a, that's a, that's a fascinating. Which might be one of the key attractions to for people to the vampire stories. It's like something that. But then you also put another perspective on it. The vampires are living in a world where they're not bound by time, but they so little changes for them because of that. So I like how you look at both both perspectives, both interpretations of the same uh, a similar experience. Who are some of your favorite writers, and what is it about uh, their work you like? Well, we talked about Anne Rice, and um, mm-hmm. I, I really, truly appreciate and Rice and what she's done for the vampire genre because she brings out that sensuality that surrounds the myth of that vampire, the folklore. She brings that to the forefront, and she does it very well. Stephen King, who doesn't like Stephen King? <laughs> He's written so many books and so many movies are based on his books, and there's always twists and turns and weird stuff going on. Stephen King's great. Uh, Bram Stoker. Um, I, I've read his version of Dracula. I don't know how many times, but the way that he wrote it, as a form of a memoir, of diary entries, and things of that nature, very, very, very compelling. I had, I had a great time reading it. Peter Strop, you know, also uh, enjoy. Um, uh, Omika Keys, who you actually interviewed, yes, uh, yes. last week. Her, her book, Rise and Fall of a Track Star. She's right, went to right. the Pan Am Games. Yes. Right, so um, I mean, there, there are plenty of authors that I love. You know, I love to read. Okay, well, as we come down to the last last few minutes of today's show, tell our off the shelf listeners where they can get copies of your books. Of course, again, I want to give out your website. They can go there: www. a l e r o n. c o, not c o n. c o. Where's some other places where they can go to get copies of Alaron? Of course, Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, Smashwords. We're on Kindle, we're on Nook, we're on iBooks, any type of e-reader you have. Um, and some of the Barnes & Noble stores uh, near you, if it's not in your store, make sure you talk to the management. 
they can get the book in the store. Um, there are it's in Barnes and Nobles and some stores in Atlanta. Hopefully, we'll get a more widespread stores out, outside of Atlanta uh, and the rest of the U.S. There are some bookstores that carry it. Hopefully, we'll be in libraries pretty soon. And um, if it is not in the Barnes and Nobles at a local bookstore near you, talk to the manager. They'll pull it up on their system, order it for you. You can go pretty much anywhere and get the book. Okay. Okay. And thanks for that information. And and again, if you don't see it in the bookstore, just ask the clerk for it. They can look it up in the in in Ingram or one of the distributors and get copies of the book for you. Um right. I wanted to ask you next. I know you said you're in New Orleans. Are you tell us some about some other upcoming events, including the New Orleans event, if you can give us the time and the location for that, uh what you're gonna be doing down there. Some upcoming book signings, some upcoming speaking engagements where you're going to be. You can give us the date, the time, and the location so our listeners can go out and support you. Fantastic. As you said, I'm here in New Orleans right now, uh, November 5th. It's a Saturday. It's a great day here in New Orleans, great weather. We're actually on a corner of Frenchman and Charter Street, and it's a little, it's, it's a book, book fest. It's their 11th annual New Orleans Book Fest, and it's fantastic. We're about to get started in about uh, 10 minutes here, as a matter of fact. But there are people out here now, and uh, I'm selling my book. Of course, I'm doing some signings. Uh, I'm taking some pictures. So if you're in the New Orleans area, do come on out and support all the authors here and myself. Um, next week, well, how I long, have a book when, signing. When, how long does the festival go? When does the festival it, end? It, it starts at 11 um, Central Time. It ends at 6 o'clock tonight. Okay. It's only one day. And that's it. And Alaron should, should really, really do well in New Orleans. <laughs> Absolutely. This is vampire country. Yes. Absolutely. And so what, what are some other events you're going to be at in the, over the coming weeks? Uh, next week I have a book signing at the Barnes & Nobles at the Forum Shops in Norcross, Georgia. It's considered Metro Atlanta. Uh, Barnes & Nobles, Forum Shops, Norcross, Georgia. Uh, the book signing will start at noon and this is Eastern Standard Time, uh, till 4 o'clock. So you can okay. come by, pick the book up, you know, have you know, a little drink, some lemonade, and get the book signed, take a picture, you know, we can talk. Uh, the week after that, I'll be in Miami for the Miami International Book Festival, and it's going to be near the Miami-Dade College. And that's actually that event lasts a week, but I'll be there from the 18th through the 20th. And okay. everyone who is a well-known author, everyone that's not so well-known authors, uh, writers, screenwriters, producers, they're all going to be out there. Everyone's going oh. to be there. You know, it's one of the largest book festivals in the world. Wow. And then sprinkled throughout next year, I don't have the dates in front of me, I'll be in various cities in uh, in New York, in L.A., in San Francisco, but all these dates will be updated on the calendar of my website. So there's a calendar function there. When you click on it, you'll see uh, events, and you have November and all the events in November, all the events in December at alaron.co. So I keep everybody informed. And then there are various Twitter and Facebook updates that come out periodically. Okay. Now, if somebody wanted to you to speak at an organization um, that they, they're affiliated with, how how would they contact you? Just go to alaron.co. And how come you made it C-O and not C-O-M? Well, C-O was just two, two reasons. C-O-M was already taken, number one, by a company that's not oh, even okay. using it. But, okay. but C-O, I found out, is international. It's oh. every country, whereas .com is U.S. Okay. So my vision was to go far beyond the borders of the United States. And in order to do that, I had to make my website um, conducive to that situation. Okay. All right, smart move. There's that businessman coming out again. So how could somebody reach you if they wanted you to speak at an at an event? Would they go to Alaron.co and then contact? And, yeah, leave a message, contact information on there, or they can just email me at K-A-N-E at A-L-E-R-O-N dot C-O. Kane at Alaron.co. Okay. Now you said you're on Facebook and Twitter, so what would they put in to get you to come up in these social networks, would they put up, would they type in A-L-E-R-O-N, Alaron, or would they put in Kane? How would you come up on Twitter? What's your, what's your, uh, well, what's your, uh, for Twitter, it's Alaron11, Alaron11. Okay. For Facebook, it's Alaron or Alaron Kane. Or they can just Google, you know, Alaron Kane, and everything will pop up. Different okay. articles, press releases, 
the website itself, different reviews, everything. All right, all right. We we're coming down to our last few minutes here. Besides mm-hmm. being active on the social networks, Kane, what what other steps or, or practices have you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books and converting people who are interested in your books into actually book buyers? Uh, talking to them. People want to know about the author. They want to hear what the author has to say. They want to see what type of work the author has put into their project. And when I start explaining that to people, whether I'm at BookFest or on during interviews such as this one, or online or have a speaking uh, engagement, they really appreciate that if I'm asking them to spend their money, um, that I put in my work, I, I hold up my end of the bargain, and that is to produce a compelling story that they're going to cherish and want to continue reading. And so it's kind of a um, symbiotic relationship. And um, so, I mean, the social media, obviously, online with the website, uh, many interviews like this one, uh, live interviews. I've done some radio interviews, um, virtual interviews, uh, written interviews online, which you could also go to my website and, and get some of the archives. And uh, just Every, any and everywhere that I can get the word out about Alaron, I'm willing to do. Wow. And it, it is such a fascinating book. I would imagine there has to be there have to be clubs or um, whether it's book clubs or group group clubs who would be fascinated. I mean, at once. Just you, you, you just tell them in a sentence what the book's about, and poof, you got them. And you've got a book yep. by There have to be a market out there. For this type of book, I'm imagining there just has to be, and maybe not so much in the United States. Maybe there is more so outside the U.S., but I, I thought I saw a television program a couple of years ago where there are groups here that are fascinated with vampires here in the U.S., and I mean really fascinated, not mildly fascinated. You tap into those type of groups, whoa, and then you just, it's just the book is already sold just because it's about right, vampires. Right, exactly. They have that much interest in it. What 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 advice do you have for new authors, three minutes left, who are trying to finish their first novel or publish their first novel? What what tips can you give them? The first thing is to finish it. First thing is uh, you got to finish it. You don't worry about correcting yourself as you go along. Write the novel in its entirety because good writing uh, happens at the editing process and the rewriting process. So write it first, have it edited, have it proofread, and, and of course you want to go to your friends and loved ones, but also don't be afraid to go outside of that because you need someone to give you a critique of your writing that has nothing to do with you. They're just readers or writers themselves. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to write it. You want to have it proofread. You want to have it edited. You want to have it rewritten, and then all those processes again. And then you go to find a publisher. And you decide if you want to do traditional publishing, which is pretty difficult for a first-time author. If you want to do independent publishing, which is a much better balanced option. Or if you want to do self-publishing, which is very difficult because it takes the uh, the most amount of time. And you have to do everything to get your book distributed, to get your book known, marketed, everything yourself. So mm-hmm. you have to decide on which route you're going to take. And that's going to tell you what your next step is going to be. You know what? And the blessing about that is, is, is about 50 years ago, you probably would not have maybe been able to say that. But thanks to technology and other other writers getting out there, Zane and, and other writers who've gone on to be bestsellers, self-publishing their books, we've got like three options now, or even four: eBooks, print on demand. You can do your you can do your self publishing. You can go with a mainstream publisher, independent publisher. Well, that's just five. So we got more options to get our books out. So if you really want to write a story, there's really no reason why you can't do it and get it published. We have come to the end of today's interview. I've so enjoyed Kang, the author of Alaron, and he is online. And I do encourage you to visit him. He's the book is the 2001 Reader's Favorite. Award winner, which is a national award, and he's online at www. 
dot a l e r o n dot c o. He's in New Orleans, and this is a perfect spot for him today, from eleven Central Time to six o'clock. So if you're in the New Orleans area, uh, uh, you can get down there and check him out, meet him in person. He said he's taking pictures. He'll he'll have, uh, talk with you, take time to talk to you, and you can actually get an autograph copy of Alaron today. If you're not there, you can pick up a copy at any bookstore, online, Smashwords, Amazon.com. Just about any bookstore. If you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the book uh, a for it and they can order it for you. We want to thank you, Kane, for being here with us. Wish you the very best down in New Orleans. You and Miss Omega Keys, the rise and fall of a track star author who we were fortunate to have on last week. And when you go to Miami and your book signing in, uh, I think you said in Norcross, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, when you're at Barnes & Noble, uh, we wish you the best there. And to all of our listeners, please join us again next Saturday, 11 o'clock, where we'll bring you another fabulous author where you can learn about a book that you may not even have known was on the market, a book that will entertain you and inspire you and stay with you for days and weeks and months and years to come. Go out and create a beautiful day for yourself. As I always tell you, remember you're so incredibly valued and so truly, truly blessed. See you this time next Saturday. Bye for now. And Kane, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you. Thanks for having me.